0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So Onyx, as you know, I use it for just about everything when it comes to being in the woods hunting and in addition to that, I'm kind of uh, organization freak when it comes to data and different things like that. So, the way I l- use the waypoints that are identified as a trail camera. So, with today's podcast being all about trail cameras, I figured this would be a, a good little tip to, to share. So, I label all of the trail camera icons in the light blue color, just the way I organize them. But Underneath that, I'll have them labeled, say, Cam 001 or Cam 002, whatever that might be. And within the notes section on each waypoint, I write the details of what camera it is, how much battery life is left, you know, a whole bunch of different, you know, pertinent information to that, whether I need a climbing stick to get to it things like that. So that anytime I'm going out in the field afterwards, I can click on that or before I go out in the field to check that camera, I can click on the waypoint, see any details and hopefully not run into the situation like I did a few times when I skipped that step and happened to forget my climbing stick and had to shimmy up the tree to try to get my camera down. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, you can head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off, off of their website only. It does not work in the App Store, Google Play, or Apple. So I also have uh, a message here from our friends at Exodus. So Chad, who's on today's episode, he's one of the owner of Exodus Trail Cameras, Exodus Outdoor Gear, so before we you know, get going with that podcast with them, so Exodus is kind of joined in the holiday giving season, and they're giving away a limited edition laser engraved 2% for conservation lift to camera. So on top of them already donating 1% of their revenue and 1% of their time annually to nonprofits, they'll be increasing their donations for this limited edition camera and will donate 10% gross of the gross sale. So well, my favorite part of this campaign is, is that you're able to have a drop down menu on the camera listing over on the website at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And you'll be able to select what nonprofit they'll donate in honor of your camera. So when you pick up the Lift 2, you can click, you know, whether that be TRCP, QDMA, NWTF, the Pope and Young Club, And all you have to do is head over to their website. This is going on now, and it just started. So you can find a limited edition camera under their camera tab. Select the nonprofit and receive your Exodus Lift 2, backed by their five-year no BS warranty. There is an extremely limited quantity available of these cameras on the website. So be sure to check that out if you are interested. And if you're not looking to purchase a camera, you can still uh, win one of these cameras by heading over to their, their podcast trail camera radio under the episode they just did with Jared Frazier with 2% for conservation. Okay. So also I want to talk a little bit about elk one Oh one. So Corey Jacobson has come out with the university of elk hunting, which is a fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course. And it goes through everything from beginning to end, what you need to know about planning a DIY elk hunt. And even if you're not doing it yourself and you're going with an outfit or whatever it might be, you can learn a ton from this course just about elk knowledge, their behavior, you know, scouting tips, things, how to set up for the shot, closing the deal. So many of those different things that are often overlooked and can take years of messing up to learn. You can reduce that learning curve by heading over to elk101.com, signing up for the University of Elk Hunting. Just use the coupon code West, and that'll save yourself 20% off that online course. And lastly, Maven Optics. So Maven is an outdoor equipment company that's been designing and creating innovating innovative products including custom binoculars and spotting scopes so basically they make game changing gear with clean simple designs that are the and the very best of modern materials and technologies that go into that they're doing it at a fraction of the one size fits all retail cost that you see at these big box stores so if you want to check out maven right now is a pretty good time they have some holiday deals going on and also, if you use the coupon code East Meets West Dash Gift, get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. All right, so some updates for you. I the Pennsylvania rifle season just ended here on Saturday, and I still have a tag in my pocket. So no luck on the last day. I had one one day last week to hunt since the last podcast, and uh, it poured down rain all day, and which turned to snow a little before dark. But I saw one deer. I had a doe at like fifteen yards, and that was it. So that uh, that didn't end the way I'd hoped it to, but nonetheless, that's that's what happened. And uh, I did I did mention I think it was on the last episode. That the the buck that I had hit in archery season with my bow that it survived and everything was good there, well that buck is now dead to uh, another hunter's bullet. So I I know the hunter in the area and he I told I'd let him know that I hit one just to you know keep an eye out before I knew that he you know survived the hit, but uh, he texted me a picture of it on saturday his brother had shot the deer really nice eight point i mean well i knew what it was but uh, an awesome buck and the you could see the wound on it there so that was that was uh cool to see that that he was able to get that you know so that's uh, the end of the story of that deer and the end of my rifle season late season archery muzzleloader comes in day after christmas here in pa I probably won't get a whole lot of time to go out. Maybe a couple days, which is gonna be tough. um, Just with the work schedule now, you know. I use my time off earlier in the year. Plus, gonna spend some time, some more time, family in the holidays, and try to you know scale back from the hunting here a little bit. So, well, I might go to Ohio at some point visit Clint Casper, but uh, other than that, uh, I probably won't get a whole lot of time here in PA left. And the, some of the biggest news, I guess, of this week is I had been, I talked about a while ago, did a podcast with Abe Henderson about planning an Alaskan DIY hunt. Well, everything is set in stone and Michael Palladino and I, who Michael was one of the ones on the Idaho hunt with me, we're heading to Alaska to hunt caribou. We're going to do a fly-in hunt super pumped end of August, going to head up there and this will be a whole new adventure. Still not sure whether I'm taking the bow or the gun or both, but, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to do that. And, and Michael and I have been talking about that for a while. He's done a ton of research on it, uh, you know, on that and moose hunting and everything else. So we're, we're really looking forward to actually making this happen now. So, Lots to, lots to be excited about here as we go towards the end of 2019 and all right, uh, we'll jump into today's episode with Chad Sylvester from Exodus Outdoor Gear. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast and I'm joined on the line tonight with a friend of mine, Chad Sylvester. What's going on, buddy? Not too much man. I uh I'm enjoying the
0: cold weather over here in northeast Ohio and uh yeah, just watching that weather forecast every day for those uh those big fronts to roll in and uh, another chance to to hit the timber.
1: Yeah. Have you uh have you been hunting much recently or you uh been been mostly doing some work in the office? Not, you know,
0: recently, um I haven't been in the woods too much. Um our gun season opened the shotgun season opened here December 2nd and you know I'm pretty much uh, a bow hunter I haven't gun hunted in in it's been a long time um but I decided uh I decided I was going to hunt the opener and um so went out shotgun hunting December 2nd that Monday and had a great time with a bunch of buddies um really just kind of kind of cut up and and had a good time kind of took the serious seriousness, seriousness away from you know, the bow hunting, uh, side of things. But, um, outside of that, um, you know, I spent most of October, and November in the woods with a bow, but recently, um, now recently I've been back to work trying to, uh, get caught up from all the time away during the rut.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's not like you got no break going right from the grind. That is the, the rut and, and archery season there, and then diving right into, your busy time with, uh, with Exodus. So I'm, I'm sure you're pretty wore out at this point. Yeah, man. it's, uh, we always talk about like just being in love with the process
0: because if you're not in love with the process, no one in their right mind would do what we do. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a grind every day, whether it's, whether it's whitetails business, um, it's long hours and, 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 uh, hard work.
1: Yeah. I think there's something, uh, that's, you know there's a wire loose or something in and some of our heads there that's for sure
0: <laughs> yeah we were you know that's uh it's one of those things we were talking about this a couple of days ago and it's like why do two, why do people get so or guys i should say why do hunters get so obsessed with whitetails it's like you know you have all these north american big game species but it seems like people get the most consumed about chasing big bucks it, it's uh you know, and I, I can't say that I can put a put my finger on it for me. I mean, it's probably a multitude of things for myself, but it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things that came up in conversation that we really couldn't answer. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah, and I I can definitely say like for myself, I definitely question my uh, excuse me question myself on why I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. So before we get into talking a little about your season here, Chad, how about you uh, introduce yourself, to, you know, tell us who you are and and a little bit uh you know about your background and and then your company and how we got to meet, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um so I'm from born and raised, I guess, northeast actually born in, in Crawford County, Pennsylvania. Uh lived in Meadville Meadville for a while, Meadville Conneaut Lake area, but pretty much um raised from a small age and, and reside now in Northeast Ohio in the Warren area where, uh, you know, the Exodus headquarters is. But um, so I grew up a lot like most, uh, most hunters, I guess, you know, hunting was a pastime in our, in our family. And, um, you know, at the age of 12, 13, 14, where you took your hunter safety ed course, it was almost like um, a passing of the baton or um, a gateway to manhood when you could, you know, gun hunt, um, that first season with, you know, your uncles and your grand and granddad and and dad. And that's essentially kind of how I got started in, um, in hunting, but really came obsessed at a pretty young age. Um, I lucked into killing a 177 inch non-typical deer at 16 years old. And from that point on, it was, you know, people telling me that would never happen again. I should just stop hunting and in my mind it's like i was like okay how can i prove all these people wrong so the next year i i started archery hunting and then it just it just became an an obsession um following that but um as far as as far as exodus um you know we're primarily a trail camera company exodus outdoor gear is is the name of our company parent company and uh it was founded in in 2015 in the hopes and goals of creating more reliable trail camera products and offering better support than than what was available in a marketplace. And, uh, a lot of people told us it couldn't be done. And, uh, here we are four and a half years later, um, you know, growing like crazy and, uh, stealing just a you know a little bit of more market share every year. And, uh, we're just excited to, you know, have the opportunity to do what we do because we love it. And that's, um, it's something that's, you know, it's just our passion. So that's it in a, I guess, a
1: elevator, 30 second elevator uh, speech. <laughs> yeah. And it's, what's funny is, so how I kind of got introduced to Exodus was I started seeing you guys at the the Harrisburg Great American Outdoor Show. I think I stopped by and, and and talked to you before and, you know, kind of got the spiel and, and you know, thought about it. And the biggest thing that really jumped out to me was your warranty. And, you know, that's, it's unmatched with the, you can talk a little bit about it, but the five-year warranty was just, there's nobody else doing that in, in the, you know, the trail camera space. And it, you know, anyone that runs trail cameras knows that it's tough to get a camera that lasts five years. And so that really, you know, interested me, and then I kind of, you know, forgot about it a little bit. And then the next year I saw you again and same thing. And, and, you know, then I started looking into a little bit, your business model, your, you know, the direct to consumer, uh, model that you have and everything there. And, and, you know, eventually this year, well, I guess it might've been even last year I decided to, you know, purchase, purchase a camera and now I'm running about eight of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's just it. It was um, you know, the the lifeline or the lifeblood of our business is is that um business model, um being consumer direct and being able to um, you know, rely on e-commerce and leverage the internet and in basically everything that we do whether it's um marketing campaigns, educational campaigns, sales campaigns, um that is kind of the lifeblood of our business, but by being consumer direct, it just simply allows us to cut that retail margin out of our product and and be able to spend more money building a product you know it's similar to to maven optics and all the all the other um consumer direct companies in the outdoor space and it's you know at one time it uh it it was almost like hey this is this is kind of something new like what's what's going on and that that might have been the case six seven eight years ago but now it's um it's it's pretty common to see new companies come to market with that with that business model.
1: Yeah, and you're right. Like I, I remember some of the first ones. You know, Kuyu seemed to be the first one that always came to my mind as one of the ones that started that that model and everything. And it's it's interesting to me. And the more is, the more I get into business and learning stuff about it, it's just it's interesting to see how how companies structure their business like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. But. So Chad, thanks for giving your, your elevator speech there. And (laughs) uh, so what I want to talk to you about here first, I want to talk to you about your hunting season. So you and I were texting back and forth throughout and, and you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you hunt a lot of big woods, you know, type terrain, similar to what I do. And, and, uh, you were grinding it out through. So how about before? Instead of me sitting here trying to you know assume some things here let's let's talk about how your hunting season went so far and some of the you know type terrain areas that you're hunting.
0: Yeah, so just to give kind of a little bit of background um, to the subject, I grew up hunting ag ground on a on a family piece that my grandfather bought off of it's been in the family for four generations. so the original purchaser of the farm was my grandfather's grandfather. Um and that original chunk of ground was about 120 acres. My grandfather's grown that uh to about four times that size. And it was a, a it's a superb whitetail hunting property. Um it almost has a little bit of Iowa feel to it. Um it's it's a at one point in time it was an operational farm. Uh now it is not. But it was uh it's a piece where basically any decent whitetail hunter could go in and, and, and kill 150 inch deer. And I was not that I I wasn't a, a skilled hunter, but it, it got to a point where I was going out and killing deer. And I, I just wasn't happy with the experience of being in the woods. Um, you know, I would sit in the stand in the evening time and you could see the barn light come on and you could hear the dogs bark or tractors run or whatever. And, I guess that was, that was, that would have been like 2013 or 2012 when I was, I was kind of having that, that season. I ended up killing a 160 inch, 167 inch 10 point that year, but my mind kept going back to a elk trip that I took, um, in Southwest Colorado, a DIY public land hunt. And just the vastness of that land and being like being in, being in in a place where you felt so small, and at times it was, it felt like no one else was ever had ever stepped foot on that soil, and that whitetail season just wasn't giving me that that feeling. So, the following year, I uh, I ventured out to um, one of the bigger chunks of ground in in southern Ohio, which is it's hill country, it's uh, sixty sixty thousand plus acres of. Of basically unstructured timber, um, so no ag uh very very little uh, t s i there there are some clear cuts and some things um, but not not very much so um, that 's kind of the area that i 'm hunting it 's sixty thousand plus acres it 's hill country it 's mostly um, oak hardwoods, the southern part of the forest has a lot of poplars and uh, the elevation change is very 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 rugged terrain so the the ridge lines like in northwest pennsylvania i would say are a lot longer um than what i'm than what than what i'm hunting uh those the ridge lines where i am where i am are the tops are very um not very wide they almost come to a point and most of those ridges you're lucky to get on a ridge that goes a mile i mean very lucky to get on a ridge that goes that, that goes that far, and the elevation changes anywhere from 300 to 500 feet, some something like that. But very, very steep, um, very, very rugged terrain that you know a lot of guys just aren't willing w- willing to uh, go in and put the work in. Um, the area is a super low deer density area. Uh, I don't know the exact number. I've heard numbers float around somewhere between two to five deer per square mile. Um, so we when we when we talk about those types of deer living in that type of terrain, you know, uh with such little structure, it almost seems like those deer can bed anywhere, they can feed anywhere, and they're kinda like nomadic wanderers. And uh, you know, we really rely pretty heavily on on cameras for historical trail camera data related to terrain features. This kinda in a nutshell, you know, the thirty thousand foot overview of 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 what we're doing down there. But I uh, I have done some pretty crazy things there dating back to 2016. I got pictures of a, just a giant 170 inch typical 10 pointer, just a beautiful, I mean, clean, perfect 10 pointer and um, kind of became obsessed with that deer and hunted that deer specifically for two years um, and only saw him on a hoof once. But late in 2017, I, uh, it was probably the second week in November and I knew like I had to do some scouting. I had to do something different because I wasn't putting myself in a position to, to, to see this deer, even though I was getting pictures of him everywhere. So I ventured down to a um, a bench on an oak flat that was maybe a lo- the lower one-third elevation, maybe maybe halfway up, and uh, hung a camera there. Well, in 17, I never, never came in contact with that deer, never checked that camera that I put down there until this summer. So it had sat there for almost, <laughs> I, pretty much t- two years. So I was super excited to get in there and pull that card. And when I went in there and pulled that card, I picked up a shed laying right in front of that camera. And it was nice. I mean, good shed. I had six, seven, eight inch um, brow tine, really tall G3. And when we pulled that card and looked at the pictures, I saw the deer that you know it was from. And figured it was like a, a mid-130s deer and never really put any more thought into it so i guess fast forward to early october of this year um, dan infault sent me a a facebook message and said hey we're you know the beast crew is thinking about coming to ohio uh, to hunt some public do you have any recommendations and instantly you know I, i thought and I didn't even have plans to go down there and hunt this year i I had plans to focus on um, some public land swamps in northeast Ohio, but when he sent me that message, I was like, "Well, we ought to go down there and hang some more cameras, do some quick speed scouting and uh, you know that way, if they come over and decide they want to hunt down there, we could link up. you know it would be good for content, it would be a cool trip. Um, I mean those guys are cold blooded killers, so I you know might might learn a thing or two so in October. We take a trip down there to hang these cameras, and um, over the summer when we checked the camera where I picked that shed up from, I you know I put I left that camera on the tree, just put new batteries and uh, an SD card in it. And on the way down, Cameron, our, our uh, content director, asked me if we were going to go over and check that camera, and I was like, "Well, no, not really. I mean, I kind of have an idea what's going on over on that ridge. We have all these other places I want to check out and put cameras." I don't really want to waste any time going over there. And he was like, it's only a quarter mile from the truck. I mean, it's, it's that camera on that spot is very close. Um, very easy access to where we park um, off one of the state forest roads. So he kind of talked me into going down to check that camera. And I was, you know, at that point, this is uh, October 24th. And I said, well, if we're going to check it, we were going to check it. You know, let's go, to, go in there first thing in the morning. And we might as well go in at you know well before daylight and throw a hunt at it for an hour and uh, hunt that first hour and then check that card and, and then and then move on. So that's kind of what we did. and we had no aspirations of really anything happening. Uh, I figured we'd go in there and sit for an hour, and then we'd climb down and pull that card and then then skedaddle, you know. But uh, as we were setting up, near that camera, Cameron was, Cameron, Cameron was down checking the camera and I'm hanging sticks and getting set up. And I hear him. He's like, Oh my gosh, Chad. Oh my, oh my. So it was a lift too. So he's playing these pictures back on a, uh, on the viewing screen, you know? So we get set up, he climbs up and he's, uh, I was like, what's, what's on the camera? Like someone forties or fifties. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, there's a bunch of good deer on this camera. And I said, Oh, that's cool. You know? So <laughs> At this point, it, uh, it's just starting to get first gray, gray light. We're sitting here, 20 minutes goes past. And then we hear a deer below us, uh, about 30 yards, come in. And it sounds like it's working a scrape. And October 24th down there, there's still a lot of foliage on the trees. Um, the leaves really are barely even starting to turn uh, that far south yet. So we hear this deer working a scrape down below us. And he's down there for like 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes. And then we start to hear, you know, some footsteps and they're, the deer is basically walking a lower bench below us and is walking away from us. And uh, Cameron, Cameron turns to me and said, Hey, do you have a grunt call? And I said, no, I, I don't usually carry a grunt call. So he was like, I'm gonna, we were set up next to this little hickory sapling and there was a an active scrape there on this oak flat that the camera was watching. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this hickory up to make it sound like a deer's working, working a scrape. I said, sure, go for it. So he grabs this little hickory sapling and just starts breaking it and beating it up, uh, up against the tree that we're in. And, uh, 10 seconds. Like I hear these steps getting louder towards us and we're both in the same tree hunting out of saddles. And I peek around, peek around, uh, around the tree. And I was like, Oh my gosh, dude, that's a, that's a giant buck. That's a shooter. So I instantly grabbed my bow and this deer is at already at, uh, like 16 yards is what I ranged him at later. This deer comes into 16 yards and stands almost perfectly broadside behind two trees. And I didn't get a, when I looked, when I saw the deer, I knew it was a shooter. It was a big deer. And from that point on, I just focused, you know, I focused on the shot, not worrying about what the deer actually was. So this deer comes in, stops behind these two trees, and is basically sitting at a point where he could see whatever was making that noise, or what he thought was making that noise, but whatever that was making that noise could not see him. So he was kinda in a little still in a little bit of security cover, but I had a window to shoot there. Um but his you know, his front shoulder and his head was was covered up in, in brush behind this tree. I couldn't you couldn't see what he was. And you couldn't see his back legs, back legs. So I'm at full draw looking through my peep sight, and I'm thinking, oh, I can't take this shot. It's a, it's a, it's a gut shot. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to do that. This deer's, you know, he's probably gonna take another two steps and then I'll see what he is. Have a perfect broadside shot. Well, this deer stands there for over three minutes and we're filming this. We have all, we have, we have this all on foot on uh, on camera deer stands there for three minutes and at that point, I have to let my bow down, so I let my bow down. He catches the movement and backs up, and directly between those two trees, he gazes over and and kind of looks up a little bit. And he's standing there for another thirty forty seconds, and he we still can't see we can't still can't see what he is. So all of his tines are covered up by these two trees, and uh, he stands there for thirty or forty seconds, and then doesn't like something, and then backs out of there, and then runs off to about thirty thirty five yards. And I had to kind of move myself around the other side of the tree to see what he see what he was, and he's standing there looking at us. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, Cameron, that's a giant!" And uh, deer stands there. You know, he takes off, and at this point, after getting a good look at that deer, I'm pretty shook up. Um, it's a it's a dark rack ten pointer with a split brow and a kicker off his G two that is. An absolute, like, it's a boon and Crockett deer on public land. And I am just like, at that point, I'm shaking. I'm like, what in the <laughs> heck just happened? So I guess from moving past that, we have that encounter. And we get back to the office on uh, the next day because we were there on a Wednesday or Thursday. We, uh, we go back and look at the, the pictures on that card. And then Cameron's like, I think that's a, that shed buck because he had pretty um, distinctive brow tines, and I was like, dude, I think I think that you're right. So we start to go back and look at the pictures. Well, I grabbed that shed. I score the shed. Go back to the pictures from 2017, and in 2017, what I thought was 130 inch deer was somewhere. He was somewhere between 150 50 to 153 inches. And looking at the pictures this year, the deer is 185 plus with you know a split brow tine. Um, kicker off his G2, I mean, 12, 13 inch G2s and G3s, super, super, super heavy. Um, just an, an absolute giant of a deer. I mean, that's once in a lifetime deer for anyone, let alone to have that encounter happen on public. Um, it's just, it's crazy. And, um, that instantly, you know, got my blood flowing to get back down there. Um, so that's, you know, that's how kind of October, middle of October really started, uh, for, for me. Um, I went down there <clears throat> after trick or treat, uh, did the trick or treat thing, Halloween. That's one thing I I never hunt the 31st because I'm, you know, I have two small kids and I'm always doing the, the Halloween thing. So did the ha- Halloween thing with the kids and then drove down there through the night, hunted that weekend, um, really trying to hone in and, and pinpoint where that deer was. Did not have any success. And then I made a third trip down there, um, November 22nd, 23rd. And had that had that deer on camera a bunch um, between the 10th and the 15th of November. And I went down there with the intentions of basically scouting that area to either lay eyes on him or bump him. Because I wanted to know where he was bedded. And I did find a buck bed um, that I bumped a deer out of, but I did not see what deer got out of the bed. And the only reason I know that there was a deer there is I found the, I I, I found the bed and there was, um, there was still wet scat and pee and it was just littered with hair in the, you know, in the bed. So, and that's, that's probably another quarter mile from where, um, where, you know, I was getting pictures of him and and had, had that encounter. So, that's, uh, that's kind of the story up to date of, uh, the way, the way my season has gone so far. Um, you know, it's a lot of time left. I don't know that I'll get back down there and hunt that deer this year. Um, there's some good deer on camera, um, that I'll focus on late season here in, in Northeast Ohio, where I don't have to travel quite as far.
1: Yeah. And, and actually Chad, now that you're you know telling this story and for the listeners, uh, side of things i i sent chad some photos buck hitting a scrape and stuff and and getting excited late october and then chad sends me the photo of that deer and i'm like my jaw just dropped <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is legit a giant no matter private public no matter where you're at in the country it's just a, a bona fide giant that's for sure yeah it uh that's the biggest deer i've
0: ever ever seen on the hoof um and it uh it it tore me up a little bit it's uh it's been a little bit of a roller coaster emotionally because you know my first thought was you have a deer like that at seventeen yards for four minutes like I'm never like the chances of of having an encounter with that same deer again and having a shot opportunity is so slim um in in the areas that I'm hunting it's it's uh it was tough it was a, it was a hard pill to swallow with me not taking that shot, and I beat myself up over it a little bit but I just, you know, it is what it is. Um, you learn, learn from it, whether the decision was right or wrong. You just got to keep working, um, and who knows? Maybe I, maybe I'll get back on him. Maybe I won't.
1: Yeah. That well, if he lived that long, he's probably pretty smart, and hopefully made it through another uh, gun season down there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were talking a little bit about um, some of your, you know, your trail camera setups and. And everything. So, what when you're hunting some of those areas, you know the big timber, unbroken, and like you know most of Northwest Pennsylvania is a little bit different. It's more of I I kind of break them into two categories. There's big woods deer, and then there's mountain deer, and you know that sounds more like a you know mountain deer is what I consider the super steep, you know, with the different ridges coming off and fingers and and more unbroken timber, and the big woods is more of the you know less. There's still terrain differences in hills and everything but that has you know mix of clear cuts and and some other things you know mixed in there but um, it, that area sounds a little bit more like north central Pennsylvania where I've been doing some some hunting this year and it's it's uh it's it's a whole different animal and and I'm you know still learning that myself a little bit but with with that so how are you running your trail cameras what are some of the things that you're setting up for? kind of explain that a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we kind of, I kind of break that down. Um, all of my trail camera sets kind of into two categories, um, short term and long term. And I personally feel that historical data is a very, very, um, valuable tool and overlooked, uh, resource when it comes to big woods or mountain woods, um, hunting. So that's initially where I start. I try to cast a wide net of, of cameras and, you know, to be totally transparent, we have access to basically as many cameras as we want. So we do run a ton of cameras. Um, you know, a normal guy running five or six cameras may not be able to do this, but I typically try to, um, broadcast a wide net of cameras based on terrain features. So that's, that's setting cameras up in saddles um, benches, any type of pinch points and any type of, uh, really edge that is showing some type of rut sign with whether that's rubs or scrapes. And then, you know, I'll, a lot of times I'll let those cameras sit and go back and review that data. And when I find a deer of interest, um, or an area that's holding a, a lot of different deer, then I'll, I'll take additional cameras And then I'll place them over scrapes. I'll go in and place them on oak flats. I'll go in and put them, um, you know, in interior logging roads, like that's going through a clear cut. Um, And with the, with those clear cuts, one thing that we've noticed over the years is that you really have to find the clear cuts that are less than five years old. And we think that's a a couple different reasons for that. One is, after after the sun has hit the hit that forest floor for a few years the the um, the regeneration in the in the stem count just absolutely explodes and it gets so thick and so nasty that deer aren't going to use it cuz they can't even walk through it it's it's almost like an impenetrable wall of uh green briars and and thorns and um just shrubby shrubby growth and as that ages i really feel like a lot of that food and browse that those deer are going to be uh, that are in there using that, that it's starting to get out of reach. And, um, you know, those deer just, just move on. So, um, yeah, clear cuts are are a a super big focus, but all that, um, like I said, plays into our long-term strategy of leaving that camera set and looking at that historical trail camera data that revolves around the rut specifically around a rut, because what we find is, Bucks will tend to do or be in the same area year over year over year, and a lot of that has to do with scrapes and bedding so I know this, this kind of gets uh I and mean, we've been doing this for a couple of years and we kind of have, have a have a system down, but it's a it's a lot of information to kind of uh, digest at once but inside that short term strategy we're seeing the most daylight activity. Around active scrapes in relation to bedding cover and that's not always buck bedding um, for us so we're not really focusing camera efforts on that upper one third on those points you know coming off those ridges we will mark that stuff on the map and say okay this this deer we got a picture of this deer on the on the 14th at whatever uh 30 minutes before sundown Okay, let's look for the bedding opportunities and kind of backtrack and do some digital scouting to where we think that deer is bedded, um, but we'll uh, we'll use those cameras on scrapes just to monitor when they're becoming active um, in relation to actually does coming into heat, they're coming into estrus, and then how how long it takes those bucks to find those active scrapes, and then possibly change your bedding into 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 rut bedding to mon- being able to monitor them, and. The one thing that we we found um, that's that's kind of interesting, and, and you wouldn't necessarily know this unless you you had a a ton of cameras. But we've also placed cameras on downwind sides or um, downwind sides or below scrapes more than a, more in like down 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 the slope of a scrape, so deer can check them. I guess in the evening with thermals dropping. But we'll also find deer will come in and scent check those scrapes and never actually work them until another buck or another doe comes in and and touches that scrape. But they'll just monitor that with uh, being able to scent check it. Um, so scrapes are a really big part of our trail camera strategy
1: in the big woods. But it all it's it's it all gears um, around the rut. Yeah. So a question I have with that and, and a comment with the last point you said about, you know, them checking the downwind side of it and everything. So explain a little bit. You said, are you running your cameras a little bit, um, further away on a certain side of the hill, like for, for, if they're say that the thermals, when they're coming down the hill, explain that a little bit more if you would.
0: Yeah. So if we find, um. Like in a scenario that that we had that encounter and there was a bench system there that we were hunting the upper bench and then there was a lower bench about 30 yards below us. And in a scenario like that, when we initially found the scrape and knew it was an active scrape, the sign was there, we hung a camera on that scrape. Um, You know, we hang cameras on scrapes. We try to keep them. uh, We feel it's very important in these big wood scenarios, we don't want to be intrusive. We don't want to put these cameras in the face of these deer because we really think, um, they will alter their movement or they'll have some type of reaction to that camera. Sometimes they don't, but that's just, just our, our opinion. So we try to hang these cameras at least six feet off the ground and a little bit off that scrape to monitor them. But in the case that you're describing, we will actually take an additional camera and put it, um, you know, down, down the the slope, if we can, or on a lower bench to monitor the movement below that scrape to see if deer are coming in to scent check that. Or if that bench is above, then we'll we'll put it above. And we got geared into that because when we first started, when I first started hunting the big woods, it was, you know, you hear all these things about terrain features. So we initially, I initially would go through and I would find all the defined terrain features on a map and that's what I would go scout. I would go to the defined saddles. I would go to the defined benches that you could easily see on a topographical map. And after running cameras there for a year, we were getting nothing. We were getting pictures, but we weren't getting pictures of five, six, seven, seven seven-year-old deer. We were getting pictures of two- and three-year-old deer. And outside of those terrain features, these other deer would show up, and it's like, well why are like what's going on like if they want to go from point a to point b they got to cross this saddle like it doesn't make sense that they got to be using something else so what we found was that these older deer are using uh, more subtle terrain features and a lot of times they're not using these these um, very defined terrain features that you could see on a map and i assume that that is because they've had some kind of negative um, experience with pressure because you know 90% of hunters are going to see those drain features and that's where they're going to go. That's where they are going to scout. That's where they're going to hang their cameras. So after running cameras there for a year, we realized like these older deer are a little bit smarter than um, what maybe we give them credit for. So it was kind of like a Hail Mary thing. Um, We were in a spot where we had a camera in a, in a pretty defined saddle and a little ways down the ridge, there was a a drainage that came up um, kind of in a bowl and the saddle was a lot less defined, and we just kind of thought, well, we're getting pictures of these deer skirting this skirting this um, uh, drainage, like maybe maybe they're using this little terrain feature, hopping up over the ridge. And we hung a camera there, and what we found, like those four and five year old deer that we were looking for, were using that terrain feature, not the super defined saddle down the ridge. So it was kind of by luck that we found those deer doing that. And, um, we kind of took that approach to also looking at, looking at scrapes and, um, other, other terrain features that you might not see on a topographical map. And you can only really
1: find if, if you're, you know, if you're scouting. Okay. And what's, what's interesting about that is I've always, you know, said, especially as you get closer to the end of October and things like that. I, I've found, um, you know the the bucks when they go to use those scrapes they're they're not like you said they're they're moving on the outskirts and just you know scent checking them where i've the, the, my one camera this year i wasn't there wasn't a real good i like to put them up high um for the most part sometimes i'll carry a, one from people and two from the deer i've noticed especially in the last couple of years a real negative uh, con, connotation with it with uh the deer especially in the 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 big timber just you know, remote places actually being more afraid of cameras being in their face than in some of the areas that have more pressure closer to roads. I don't know. I haven't figured out the reason for that, but some of these ones that are deeper back in, they just don't like them in their face. So, you know, I've been putting up, putting them up higher, but this one cameras specifically, it was, you know, I, the only tree I could put it on was this hemlock tree. So I had to keep it lower to be able to stay underneath the, the, the branches. And you know, I was getting pictures of big deer and then they stopped. Well, I, I hunted the that stand and saw 5 bucks in one day and not one of them walked in front of that camera. They all skirted the downwind side of it and it was really interesting to me as a, and to hear your strategy there. I I like that. I think that's a a really good way of doing it.
0: Yeah, we um we see the same thing with uh that negative that negative impact um with with these big woods deer. It's uh, it. It dates back probably to 2016. We were getting pictures of two specific deer, um, and we would get a picture of them on one camera, and that deer would never walk in front of that camera again. But down the ridge, there'd be a different camera, and we'd get a picture of him once there, and never get. We, you know, he would never show back up on that camera, and that happened on three or four cameras in the span of a, maybe three weeks, and uh, without getting any more pictures of him we were like, well, dear, deer, he probably moved on. He had different, you know, he went to find does or whatever in November, different, different range. Maybe he got bumped by another buck, maybe he's dead, whatever. And then we actually saw that deer on the hoof and he was there the whole time. He was just skirting those cameras because he felt like we were being too intrusive. And it's, you know, everybody wants like, um, absolutes when you talk whitetails, right? Everybody wants like the tactic or the strategy that's going to work every time. And it just doesn't exist um you know every deer is going to react to the situation a little bit different i mean they're they're wild creatures with their own personality so the best thing to do is you know my approach is, is like so almost everything that i do like put yourself in the deer's shoes and picture something trying to hunt you like what would you know how would you react and you know there's i don't think there's anything I don't think there's any negative outcomes to trying to be overcautious and um, concerned with how you're, how you're placing cameras. We try to get them, like you said, up in the air. It's good for theft prevention, uh, keeps them out of the line of sight of the deer. And um, you know, there are some, a, a little bit of a down, a downfall that, but we also try to keep them on trees that have, are a little bit bigger than the outline of that camera. And there's a lot of times we'll take, we'll take twigs or brush and put them behind the strap and just try to break that, I guess that silhouette up um, a little bit. So they're not, uh, they're not being seen quite as easy if something were to, were to see them. And then the other thing we don't, you know, a lot of those cameras in that long-term strategy, they're on that same tree for, for years. Um, so I, I feel like it's a little bit different when you're um, moving those cameras around in different areas and that deer sees that camera for the first time to where, that deer has seen that camera maybe when he was a three-year-old and then it's been on the same tree for for two two years and at five he doesn't you know it's part of his home it's part of his bedroom
1: Hmm. yeah there was there's was a specific deer that i was hunting this year um he was a younger deer last year but had just his split g2 g3 all in this i mean he was a mainframe 15 point at like two years old which is just uncalled oh, wow. and yeah he, i mean it was he was ridiculous and and this deer um this year he would have been a three-year-old and i was like you know i put up a bunch more cameras for him and stuff and i only got one photo of him uh, on this creek crossing and it was like october 22nd and that was the last time that i saw him he never hit those cameras but i know he's living there And it's just, he's, he got, I mean, the year before he was so photogenic showing up on all these cameras and, and this year in some of those same places, he just was not showing back up. So I'm trying to, you know, kind of rethink my strategy with it and some different, uh, ways of, of getting on it. But that's, that's interesting that, that you found some of that data.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I, one important thing, um, that all all hunters or trail camera users should really ask themselves. Um, when you're looking at those pictures, there is so much information there. And a lot of times, you know, as white tail hunters do, they get obsessed with those photos and seeing those big deer. They're not really asking themselves the questions, well, why is that deer there? When is he there? What is the weather doing? And, and really trying to answer those, not just ask them, but answer them. And then also doing the same thing if that deer is not on camera. Um, you know, why is he not showing up? Is he, you know, is he, is he skirting the camera? Is he gone? Did he relocate? Is he dead? Really trying to ask yourself those questions and answer them uh realistically before you move that camera, a lot of times can just, just give you the nudge to say, okay, well, I'm not going to move this camera now, but I'm going to take another camera and, and put it 150 yards, um, uh, you know, in a saddle or on, on a, in a bottom on a creek crossing or, you know, you know, in a, in a, in an oak flat that really hasn't been just the sign's just starting to pop. And a lot of times you can figure that stuff out, but I think a lot of times guys are also shooting themselves in the foot. You know, they'll go in and check their cards and say, Well, that deer's not on this camera. I'm just I'm just gonna move it. And then you you move it down down the ridge and he doesn't show up there, and then it becomes just a, a process of chasing your chasing your tail. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I think, you know, what you said there about people moving cameras too early, you know, not leaving it there to get the data. I think that is so important. I had, and I, I spread myself really thin and I, I talked about it this on the last podcast was, you know, one of my downfalls of this year and when I'm doing kind of like a self-evaluation was I spread myself way too thin on areas. But what that did leave, allow me to do is just let cameras soak for five, six months, you know, and what, it was crazy. I'd, I'd have, you know, spans on these scrapes and stuff where it'd be, you know, a month and a half where I wouldn't have any good deer. And then all of a sudden they would hit it. Or if I would have went in there, you know, October 25th and said, Oh, they should be, you know, working these scrapes by now. They're not here and pulled that camera. I would have never got that data. And it's, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, something that, I continue to learn, and you know, we all like the instant, you know, satisfaction of having those pictures, and and you know, being patient with it and that that long term strategy. I mean, actually, you know, I'm working on an article for you guys right now about a, I, I call it the three year plan, where it really takes me three years to figure out an area and. And whenever I can, you know, hunt a specific area for that long and run cameras for that long, you learn so much and they, they'll rut the same time, you know, as far as hitting certain scrapes, um, deer will show up and pay attention to the, the weather that's going on at that time, why they're doing that, why they're traveling that way. And you can just learn so much from, from that data.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Um, you learn so much and. And really allows you to be so much more efficient with, with, you know, your life, whether, you know, you know, when you're, you, when that area is going to get hot, you know, when you need to be in the woods, um, and you're not, uh, you know, burning those vacation days on days that, you know, are going to be less,
1: uh, fruitful. Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. Um, so when it, when it comes to, you know, you're talking a little bit about your rut strategies there, do you, do you hunt late season at all, um, in the big woods? i haven't um i haven't this year
0: i have i i'm debating it really really hard um on whether or not to go down there i think um in, in the late season, I think you could have some success uh if you know my strategy right now, if I were to go down there would be to find chinkapin oaks um it seems like those uh those oaks hold their acorns just a little bit longer they're um, you know, if they do fall, the, the deer, I think don't eat them, uh, quite as fast because of the acid levels. Um, the, uh, um, a blank. What's the, what's the acid in, in the acorns that makes them, makes them bitter? Um, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on that too. Tant, tantic, t- 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 tanner, tannic acid, it's tannic, tannic acid. acid, tannic acid. That's there it. you go. So from, and I'm not. I'm far from biologist i can I can barely you know name ten subspecies of oaks, but from what I understand is that tantic acid takes longer to break down in certain types of oaks, specifically the you know the red oak family, and over time as that breaks down they'll become more palatable to, for deer, so they'd like to you know eat those in a, in the late season so you know if I were to go down, it would be scout 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 to find that fresh food source, go ahead and put cameras on it, but then get that data. um, In you know, those trips, I'm I'm traveling six or seven hours from home. So this isn't, um, you know, something in my backyard that I can, I can just go do. So my time is limited there. So I would scout, 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 find that, uh, find those food sources, which to me would be those chinkapin oaks, um, go ahead and place cameras on, on them and try to relate that back to bedding. And I would either hunt that A to B, the bedding to food, or I would hunt the food if the weather conditions were right. And I would hunt in, I would hunt the locations where my cameras were because I could go into those food sources with the right access, not disturb anything and check that camera before I hunt. And if the cameras, you know, if it has data there and deer are showing up, maybe it's an hour after daylight uh, or an hour before yeah, after sundown, I guess, an hour after uh, legal shooting, you know, maybe there is hope that that deer will show up a little bit earlier with that with that front rolling. In. And and but if there's not any deer there, then I know I need to go to the next spot. So that um you know, going in there, that's it's more reliant on scouting, but the cameras still play a big part on that short term in that short term strategy um, as far as you know stand placement and in and. and and where you where you plan to hunt, even if you only have a uh you know, a two, three, four day four day window to get something done.
1: Yeah, and that's that that's always been the toughest thing. You know, I've I have not ever been successful, you know, after the Christmas time frame on a you know a a buck. I've shot does in that time frame, but it's the the toughest thing is like you said, we'll find in that food source that they're wanting to go to you know, mixing that with the front, that's going to get the the bucks moving in the daylight hours. And, you know, at, at that point, you know, for me personally, and, you know, for you traveling down there, I mean, I have my vacation days spent like from work. And, uh, so it's usually like one day I get to hunt on a weekend, uh, since we can't hunt Sundays. And it's just like, it's, it's tough to be able to find that hot sign and set up for, you know, one day to be able to do that. But, you know i i've heard of people having you know luck in the late season there and i just i i definitely don't have a a good <laughs> strategy for it but uh the, I, I definitely agree with your point of the scout 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 and because otherwise you're going to be you know if you're hunting cold sign it's, you're definitely going to be in for a long set especially in those low deer density areas yeah it's um
0: and the, that's just it. In those low deer density areas, it's, it's a, it's a needle in a haystack. Um, so you, you hit the nail on the head, scout, scout, scout.
1: Cool. So Chad, is there anything else that you can think of as far as when, I mean, there's a million things we could talk about with, within that, but anything else specific and with trail cameras that, you know, that's really helping you out in the, in the big woods, any tips or, or thoughts that you're you know, going forward with? Um, I think the, the biggest
0: thing is just that long-term strategy that produces annual data. Um, You know, in those low deer density areas, it's, it's really tough to get on deer, but we, we've been running cameras in that area for five, five, four and a half, five years now. And we see the same deer show up in maybe not the same exact spot, but they're in, they're in the general area year over year over year and hitting those scrapes it's not always in the daylight you know they might hit the uh, hit a scrape in daylight in 17 and he'll come back that deer just sh- out of the blue shows up uh in 18 on that scrape but he's there during the night um so that is that's really the biggest thing and that's the that's the that's the way where we found the most success um and just a, a quick story on that um i had a a very close friend um a co-founder of, of Exodus that was hunting a deer in 2005, 2016, Uh big, big nine pointer, like a 100, 150 inch, one hundred sixty inch nine pointer and had never laid eyes on it all year. Uh, got lots of pictures. Deer was just a ghost. Well, the following year, uh, you know, he had scouted all summer long, uh, early fall, been running cameras, no pictures of that deer at all. So it's like November 3rd, I think. Um, and dating back the previous year, that deer showed up, his first picture of that deer was like on the 4th, I think, 4th or 5th of November. So this is November 3rd and November 4th. And he's actually had plans to film me. Um, and the area that we were in, we didn't feel like we could get on, get on any deer. So there was a camera that he wanted to check. And that camera was the scrape where that deer had first showed up last year. So lo and behold, we go to check that camera and that deer was there that night at like four in the morning. So we set up right over top of that scrape um, for a hunt and he shot that deer at four twenty in the afternoon. So that was, he went 363 days or something crazy like that over 300, over 350 days with no pictures of that deer. And that deer showed up within two days of when he showed up the first time the previous year. And that's where he shot him. So, that stuff. Uh, I know it seems it seems like it's a, a a long shot, but when you run all when you run as you know a high number of cameras and you and you are watching specific deer, there is definitely tendencies um, of of historical or annual annual data revolving around a rut. So, if you are hunting the big woods, that's you know that would be my number one thing is long term trail, trail camera strategies with uh, really watching that historical
1: historical data. Awesome. Well, Chad, uh, I, I think, uh, I think we got a lot of data there and a lot of stuff that you were, you know, sharing from the trail camera side of things. I know I learned a lot from it, so I, I greatly appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge there. Absolutely, man. I'm just, uh,
0: glad to, glad to hop on it and chat for a little bit. I know, uh, we've tried to schedule this a couple of times, um, throughout 2019, <laughs> they yeah. keep uh, popping up and getting in the way. So I'm, I'm glad we could finally connect
1: yeah for sure and so chad where can where can everyone find some more information on exodus outdoor gear trail cameras and everything else
0: yeah so you could find us uh on on social uh, exodus trail cameras our website ExodusOutdoorgear.com, um youtube facebook instagram um and then we also have a a podcast trail camera radio so
1: you'll find that uh, pretty much anywhere that you probably listen to this at awesome Again, thank you, Chad, for coming on, and uh, I'm I'm excited to meet up with you at the Great American Outdoor Show and and talk some more. Me too, Bo. Thanks.